got your Bible, you're in Colossians chapter 3 ten, uh, this morning, so we're going to look just a couple of verses with you and we'll pray. Verses 1, 2, and 3, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. Paul, before I read them, Paul is uh, in prison. Uh, he's writing this letter to the church at Coloss. He had never been, from what we understand from Scripture, he had never been to Coloss uh, as a city. There were people that were saved there by other men uh, that God uses instruments and a church was started there. He heard about the church at Coloss and he writes this letter back to them. And so this would be considered a prison epistle. But look at verse number one now, Colossians 3, verse one. If ye then be risen with Christ, in other words, if you're saved, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse four says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. This morning's thought doesn't come really necessarily from these first four verses, but they go with what I want to talk about this morning. And uh, three times Apostle Paul makes this statement, two of them in this particular chapter. He said, whatsoever ye do. And I want to talk to you on that thought this morning on whatsoever you do. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you again for your word. I guess you help us as we take in knowledge that, Father, the teaching of your word, Father, would make a life change. Help us, Father, again, that whatever we do, Father, that we would follow these three principles that Paul gives for every action of life. And Father, thank you again for your goodness to us. Bless us and help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church family, it's interesting when Paul was writing the church, to a church that he'd never been before, that he spent so much time talking about Jesus Christ. And we did not take time to read chapter 1 or chapter 2 or 3, but you'll notice that Paul, in fact, I do want to point out quickly, uh, again, I'm not going to do a, a, a book study this morning, but chapter number 1, verse 18, Paul said this, and he, Jesus, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And then you get to chapter number three and verse number four, he said, when Christ, who is our life? Now, uh, church family, I, I think, and again, visitors this morning, we're glad that you're here. But in a, in a crowd this size, there's no doubt there are people in here, Christ is not your life, all right? And I'm not trying to be offensive, but it might be for two reasons. Number one, Christ might not be your life because you're not saved. And you're not saved because you came to church. You're not saved because you've been baptized or live a good life or treat others like you want to be treated. You're saved because you put your faith in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation. I'm going to heaven not because I'm a preacher. I'm going to go to heaven because as an 11-year-old, I realized I was a sinner and I, I deserved to go to hell, but that Jesus loved me and died for me. Now, that's the only way you're going to get to heaven is by receiving and believing. Believing what Christ did for you and then receiving him as your own personal savior. And that's when Christ begins to be your life. But Paul's writing this letter to believers. He's not writing this to, to, to lost people. And so when he says Christ is our life or your life, he's trying to tell them, hey, listen, as a believer, he ought to be your life. You came to church this morning. I'm glad you did. There's a host of people, both believers and lost, who decided that it was not important to go to church. You at least had figure out, hey, listen, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is, means that Christians ought to be in church. All right? and, I, and I know the lost world and even some believers have kind of convinced us, even during these days, that you can have church at home. You can't have church at home. All right? There are times that you're sick and there's times that you cannot come to church. And you ought to stay home when you're sick, by the way. Okay, thank you. I'm glad I could say that. All right? But you know what? Uh, this idea of that the lost world has told us, it's okay for you Christians to have church, just, but just do it by the way of internet. I'm just trying to tell you God's way of having church is that you assemble because the very word church means uh, a called out assembly. Yeah. 
All right? So you came to church this morning. And by the way, church ought to be a major part of your life because God ought to be a major part of your life. Are you all saved this morning? All right. You were happy until I started preaching. I'm not sure why. I'm just trying to tell you that Christ ought to be your life. Christ is not the preacher's thing or the deacon thing. This is a Christian thing. Christ ought to be your life. He ought to be everything that you think and everything that you do. He ought to be the first thought when you get up. He ought to be the last thought when you go to bed. Christ ought to be a part of your devotion. Christ ought to be part of your work. Christ ought to be your life. What did Paul say in Galatians 2.20? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, uh, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. The life which I now live. Our lives ought to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he said on the Sermon on the Mount that you should be like salt and light is because our lives ought to demonstrate Christ. Somebody sang a song, I don't know who wrote it, but uh, can, can they see Jesus in me? And I want to tell you, they ought to see Jesus in all of us, no matter how young or how old. Now this morning, let me walk through a couple of things in the beginning part of this chapter. I want to share these three thoughts with you as far as whatsoever you do. Look at what the Bible says now. In, in verse number one, two, three, and four, he says, Christ is your life. He says, now I'm going to tell you how you make Christ part of your, make Christ not part, but make Christ your life. In verse number one, in the middle of the verse, he says, seek those things which are above. In verse number two, he says, set your affection on things that are above. Now, church, I mean, the idea is if Christ is going to be part of your life, you've got to be looking to him. Where's Christ at right now? Talk to me now. Where's he at? He's, on, he's sitting on the right hand of the Father. Where at? He said, listen, your mentality, your affection, in other words, the word affection, things that we desire, things that we think about, it ought to be set on heaven. You know, this, during this service this morning, some people are going to be thinking about lunch. Some people are going to be thinking about what they're doing this afternoon. Some people are going to think about what they're doing this coming week. But can I tell you that our life ought to be based upon about God and our thoughts ought to be about him. So this is what he says. If you're going to have Christ as your life, you need to set your affections on things above. He goes on to say, how do I do this? All right, look at verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members. In other words, put them to death. Kill them. What's he talking about? Verse number 8. But now ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off. Verse 9. You've put off what? The old man with his deeds. How many said you were saved this morning? Say Amen. All right, so before you got saved, you had an old man. Now that you are saved, you have a new man. The old man is that lost person. The old man is that person that lived for the flesh, the world, the devil. As a Christian, we're not supposed to do that. Why? We have a new man. We have a spirit of God that dwells inside of us. You became a new person the day you got saved. You know, 85% of people who get saved are between the age of 4 and 14. Eight, listen to me, 85%. That means the majority of people who get saved are children. Now, you can get saved at any age. You can get saved as an adult. You can get saved as a senior saint. But I'm just trying to tell you this morning that children get saved, but they, between ages 4 and 14, they don't understand new creature. They don't understand I'm a new person. But a Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us, and that's what happened the day you got saved. So Paul says, put off the old man and put on the new. Look what he says in verse 10. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Who created you? If you're with me this morning, say amen. amen. Now, I'm not going to be long this morning, but I need you to stay with me now. What, what uh, renews our mind is the knowledge of him that created us. God created us. Jesus was God. The knowledge of Jesus Christ is the book that you hold in your hand. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know the verse. You understand it. I can't. I don't have Jesus in the living form, but I have Jesus in the written form every time I open up that book. That book ought to be special to you, by the way. Amen. 
I know he's everywhere, and I know he said the eyes of the Lord in every place, but I'm telling you that one of the closest things you have about Christ is the book you hold in your hand because that's the living word. We use paraphrases. We have a copy of the word of God. We use paraphrase, paraphrase you know, that we have a duplicate of God's word. I believe I've got the word of God. Amen. And I believe the reason it's called a holy Bible because I have a holy God. Amen. And when I get to read those words, I get to read the very words of God. You're not picking up a novel. You're picking up God's word. So again, this morning, what's he trying to say? He said, Christ ought to be our life. He ought to be our life in everything that we do. And so now he's going to get to the, to, to the middle of the chapter, and he's going to use to me a very powerful statement when he says, whatsoever ye do. Now, I looked at the word whatsoever, and this is not very deep, but it means anything and everything. I didn't make the definition, by the way. Okay? Whatsoever means anything, everything. All right? So that means when you sing. That means when you're getting dressed. That means when you're working. That means when you're playing. That's when you're talking. God said, whatsoever. That means while you're listening to preaching. All right, now let's look at these three things this morning. Three principles to live our life by for everything we do. All right, here's the first one. Look at your Bible now. Let's pick it up in verse number 17. Verse 17, let's just read it out loud together. Ready? We're going to read verse 17, Colossians 3, verse 17 together. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Church, I mean, think what the, what the verse is saying here. When Paul is writing to the church at Coloss, uh, it these actually verses, verses 16 through 18, I believe it is, they mirror the verses in Ephesians. He says, and whatsoever ye do in, uh, in, this, in this passage, in these verses, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Now, church, I'm going to, what I pull from this verse is this, is that what, whatsoever ye do, do it in thanks to God. All right, that's what he's saying here. Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, and do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. C can I tell you this morning that no matter what we do, you ought to thank God you can do it. You should thank God that you were able to come to church this morning. You ought to thank God tomorrow morning. You, you get the ability to get up and go to work tomorrow. Okay, you don't want to thank God for that, right? You know, the Bible talks about giving thanks, and it's, of course, it's mentioned throughout the New Testament. But God says we're supposed to be thankful for everything. In fact, here's what he says, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, what? Give thanks for this is what? Hey, church, can I tell you that when you go home and eat lunch today, you ought to thank God for it. You know why? Because it's whatsoever you do. You ought to thank God for it. Hey, when your child messes up and they, uh, they deliberately disobey you and as a parent you spank them, you ought to thank God you got some kids to spank. See how quiet it gets. I just like to make sure you're listening this morning. That, that means when you get a flat tire and things aren't going like you'd like, like for them to go, you're supposed to thank God that you got the flat tire. He said, in everything give thanks for this the will of God. So what, what, what the Bible's teaching us here is that whatsoever ye do, we're supposed to thank God for it. Hey, listen, we just had an election. All right, this is Scott Hank speaking. I would have preferred the elections didn't turn out like they were. But you know what? We're supposed to thank God for it. I don't know what the worst thing can go on in, in your life, but there are sometimes tragedies and afflictions and problems that come into our life. But you know what? God says, I want what, whatsoever you do, I want you to thank me. I want you to understand that it all comes from me, that God allows. And I know sometimes we don't understand why God allows certain things to happen, but God said, you're supposed to be thankful for everything. 
Ephesians 5.20, it didn't just say thankful for everything. It says thank, thank, thanking God always. Now listen to what he says here. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always. You know, I know that sometimes we have a bad day. Any of you ever have a bad day? Say amen. All right, some of you, half of you have a bad day. Half of you don't. I'm glad. All right. The rest of the half of the world is normal. That sometimes they have a bad day. Do you understand that even the bad days we're supposed to be thankful for? Alexander White was a Scottish, Scottish preacher, and every time he would start the service, he would start the, start the service with prayer, and in his prayer, he would always start with a, with a, with a if I can say, a greeting of gratitude for what God has given us. On that particular Sunday, the people had come together. It was super cold outside, and the weather was miserable, so the church congregation was curious how he would begin his prayer with gratitude, and this is what he said. We thank thee, O Lord, that it is not always like this. You know, in our lives, you can be thankful that things are not always like this. You know, we at Thanksgiving time often use the um, miracle of Jesus healing the uh, 10 lepers. But if anything, the 10 lepers tells us that percentage wise, one in 10 people are going to be thankful. My uh, wife uh, last night gave us, gave haircuts to the boys. I got a haircut last night. I, I still don't go to my barber because they're still playing around, but... Um, so my wife has been cutting my hair throughout this COVID thing. And so uh, last night she gave me a haircut and I went to take a shower, get the hair, loose hair off and everything. And, and it's like when I was getting dressed, it's like the Lord said, you didn't say thank you for that. Now, if I can go to a lost barber, of course he, uh, he might be saved, but anyway, if I can go to my barber and I can get a haircut and tell him thank you, thank you then I ought to tell my wife thank you when she cuts my hair. And it was like the Lord said, what are you doing? You know, I don't know how you are, but God said, I want you to be thankful for everything. I want you to be thankful for everything. And I want you to be thankful always. You know, at our, at our table, um, I don't do it every time we eat, but I'm often reminding our children, you know, your mother made a meal. Make sure you tell her thank you. It, it, we train our children in this area of what do you say, what do you say, to try to get them into a habit of being thankful. You know what I think the problem with us as Christians are? We've tried to train ourselves to get into a habit instead of really having a heart of gratitude. A heart of gratitude will not come out of, oh, I've got to say this, or I'm supposed to say this. It's going to come out of, I'm thankful for what you did. Amen. And you know, when it comes to God, it's almost like, Heavenly Father, bless this food of our body. Thank you for it. Amen. We get into a habit of thanking God for our food and for things in our life. And God said, I don't want you just to be in a habit of it. I want you to be in a heart of it. And God says that whatsoever ye do, you ought to be thankful. And, and, and that means everything. All right. So the first thing Paul says is whatsoever you do, do it in thanks to God. Look at the next thing he says, same chapter. Look at chapter number three with me. Look at verse number 23. Chapter three, verse number 23. The Bible says, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto man. Let's go ahead and read that one out loud together also. Ready? To get together, begin. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now, church family, in the context of Scripture, verses 22 through 25 go together, and it's talking to servants. You'll notice in verse 22, the first word is talking about servants. Verse 22, 23, 24, and 25, and as Paul is talking about the, the, the employee-employer relationship, the employee, verse 26, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service. In other words, he says, when you go to work tomorrow, don't work hard because the boss is watching you. Don't do it with eye service. Look what else he says. He says in verse 22, as men pleasers, but singleness of heart, 
fearing God. What does he mean by singleness of heart? In other words, I'm working my job not to please you, but in singleness of heart to please God. That's my purpose. That's, my, that's the one thing that's most important to me is to make sure God's happy with me, not my employer. Then he goes on to say, next, he says, verse 23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. What does he mean by heartily? It's got the word, what's the word inside heartily? What's the word? Heart. In other words, he says, make sure you do it with your whole heart as unto who? As unto the Lord, not unto men. So here's what God's trying to teach us there. He's trying to say, listen, I, whatever you do, number one, whatever you do, make sure you do it by giving thanks to God. He said, number two, whatever you do or whatsoever you do, do it as unto the Lord. In other words, we're not doing stuff for people. We're supposed to be doing things for God. You know, it's like the person in class. The, the kid, young person does his schoolwork because the teacher expects for him to turn his homework in. But you're not doing your homework for the teacher. You're doing your homework for God. Why? Whatsoever you do. It's like the person who, the children at home, and they've got chores to do. And mom and dad says, make your bed and pick up your dirty clothes or take out the garbage. You're not doing those chores for your mom and dad. What are you doing it for? You're doing it as unto the Lord. Why? Whatsoever you do. It's, it's like the occupation, the person who goes to work tomorrow, and he's working for his employer. You are not working for your employer. Why? Because he said, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Hey, listen, we've got this whole thing mixed up. We oftentimes think that we're doing stuff for people when that's not really the primary. The primary is we're doing it to God. So he said, whatsoever you do, be thankful. But he says also, number two, whatsoever you do, do it as unto the Lord. It's like a person in ministry. A person runs a bus route. A person teaches a Sunday school class. They get to the habit of they're trying to please the teacher or the bus captain or even the pastor. But we're not doing things for people. We're supposed to be doing things for God. Whatsoever you do. I want to tell you something. Your life would change if you would take these three principles and just ponder them and meditate on them. They're all, they're all three Bible verses. Whatsoever you do, do it with giving thanks. Whatsoever you do, do it not unto men, but as unto the Lord. God wants everything that we do in life to be unto him. So it doesn't matter what, if it's a matter of speaking or teaching or playing or working or in this case preaching. Understand that it's not for people, it's for God. Interesting enough, in verses 20, the next verse says this, in verse 23, and whatsoever you do, but verse 24, knowing. Okay, so what can I know for a fact? God, Apostle Paul writing in the church of Colossus. He says, if you, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men, here's what you know. Knowing that of the Lord, you shall receive what? You shall receive the reward. So in other words, Paul says, I just want to remind you that who you're serving is God. You're not serving man. And the reason for that is because the judgment seat of Christ, God is going to reward us according to our, what's the word? Labor. According to our labor. Church, I don't know if you, this idea of whatsoever you do, anything and everything. It doesn't matter if you're driving a car. It doesn't matter if you're sitting in a service. It doesn't matter if you're listening in a class. It doesn't matter if you're in a dorm with a college student. It doesn't matter if you're at home with your family. God says that every minute of every day, no matter whatever you're doing, I want you to do it being thankful that I'm allowing you to do it or that I allowed that to come in your life. And he says, second of all, I want you to understand that whatever you're doing, you're not doing it for people, you're doing it for me. That's what he wants us to think about. A wife is trying to please her husband. You're not trying to please your husband. 
You're trying to please God. A staff member is trying to please the pastor. A staff member is not trying to please the pastor. He's supposed to be trying to please God. You, you tomorrow going to work, you're, it's not about your manager or your foreman or your boss. It's a matter of God Almighty is the one that you're working for. God says, I want you to live life doing as you're doing things for me. There's one other one, and it's not in the book of Colossus. I want you to turn to it with me, though. It's 1 Corinthians. He uses that same phrase, but he's talking to the Corinthian church here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Maybe you have this verse memorized. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 31. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this. <clears throat> Let's just, it's a short one also. Let's just read it together. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 together. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Now, in this particular passage of 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking to the Corinthian church about eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. In other words, you know, if it's going to be a stumbling block to your brother, you shouldn't do it. And he uses this verse with that thought. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the what? Okay, so the three principles to live by on no matter what I do, when I go to work tomorrow, when I spend time with my family, when I come to church, the three principles to live by is number one, is whatsoever ye do, do it in giving thanks to God. Whatsoever ye do, do, do it as unto the Lord. Whatsoever ye do, do it for the glory of God. That is supposed to be my mentality of every action of every day. Just remember, you've heard me preach messages before on why you were created, and one of the two reasons is to glorify God. What does it mean to glorify God? It means to praise Him. It means to worship Him. It means to give Him honor, glory. Give Him honor in our life. The proverb says this, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Verse 20, verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And of another proverb, he said, it's not good to eat much honey. I don't like that part. It's chocolate. He says, it's not good to eat much honey. So for men to search their own glory is not glory. You know, we have a habit of trying to get people to look at us or we try to get in a habit of trying to portray ourselves in order for people to compliment us and, and, and pat us on the back. That's not where the pat's supposed to go. It's where the praise is supposed to go. He's supposed to get all the honor and glory in our life for no matter what takes place and whatever happens in our life, we're supposed to glorify him. Do you do that? The story was told, and again, it was years ago. This man used to play organ for one of the cathedrals. And he got to the place after he played for years and years that his fingers had gnarled up and he was not able to play the organ, but he did not want to leave the church as far as working there. So he ended up being a custodian. He cleaned, the church, cleaned the particular, that particular cathedral. And one day a man came in and asked to play the organ. Now he was the organist for years and years and years. And now he's the, now he's the janitor. And he says, no, you can't play the organ. And the man said, I'd really like to just, just, to, just to play on it just a little bit. It was not a service time. And the, and the guy says, well, okay. So the custodian sat down and the guy that uh, started playing the piano, he ran his fingers up and down the organ and just, again, beautiful music that he was able to portray. Now, I don't know this famous organist, but his name was Mendelssohn. If you know music, maybe, the, maybe I'm saying it correctly, you know, know the particular fellow. Mendelssohn. He was the actual, Felix Mendelssohn was the actual person who played that particular organ. When the custodian went up to him and says, hey, listen, that was unbelievable. He, what is your name? And he told him who he was. He was so thankful that day that he let that particular organist play that organ. And he made this statement, and he told everybody that came, I, to think that I almost missed hearing Mendelssohn play on my organ. You know the problem with us as Christians is this? 
is you're not letting God play on your organ. You're not letting God use you because you're trying to steal the glory when God could do so much more if he could do something through you instead of you trying to do something for yourself. God wants the glory in our life. You don't have good children because you're a good parent. God's blessed you with good children because he's a great God. We don't have a great church because of the membership. We have a great church because we have a great God. You are not a great person. You just have a great God forgave you of your sin and he lets you be used. So can I just tell you that everything we do in our life should be based upon these principles. Whatsoever ye do. How many is going to have lunch when you leave here? Raise your hand. You're going to have lunch? How many is hungry right now? All right, you look hungry. I can tell. You're going to have lunch. This afternoon you might get your Baptist nap. I don't know. You might decide you're going to get something done. Tonight we'll have service tonight. Monday you start back to work, start back to school. You know, I don't know how many years the Lord's going to let us live, but I'm telling you one thing. As long as you have breath, you're going to do something. And Paul in this, I don't know if you can see kind of where he was moving at the beginning of the chapter to to where he got to the middle of the chapter. In the beginning of the chapter, he says, set your affection on things above, not on things on this earth. Here's what Paul was trying to say. The way you think is what you do. And whatever you do, it ought to be in thanks to God. Whatever you do, it ought to be for him. Whatever you do, it ought to bring glory to God. You know, maybe some of you just need to take the step backward, maybe getting so concerned about the do part when really you ought to get concerned about the think part. Seek those things which are above. Set your affection. Seek and set. Seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above. Maybe it'll be a little easier to be able to do the do like you should be doing. Christian's, Christian's all about him. And tomorrow morning when you get up, you ought to get up thinking to yourself, God, whatever I do today, Help me to make sure I give you the thanks. Whatever I do today, help me to make sure it's for you and not for man. God, whatever I do today, help make sure I bring glory to you. Whatsoever ye do. Would you bow your head and close your eyes?